Amen. I invite you, if you will, if you're able to stand together as we share in the reading of God's Word, two passages, one from James chapter 2 and then Romans chapter 12. Let us join in the reading of God's Holy Word. I'll show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful action. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Please be seated. I hope you have enjoyed these last few Sundays together as we have reflected on a series entitled Beyond Belief. I know I have benefited and enjoyed preparing the messages because they reminded me that for us as Christians, our belief in God is not designed to be planted and then parked simply in our head that it is to make that 12-inch journey from our head to our heart in which it is translated into real-life action and deeds of goodness and honoring God. It's meant to transform our lives. James, our our passage in James that we've been looking at for the last few Sundays in chapter 2, reminds us that faith without works is dead. And so we've been saying over the last few Sundays that when, when our belief is authentic, when it is real, We go beyond belief, and our lives begin to reflect that belief, and we've identified up to now four areas in which that is true. When we go from beyond belief, we find that we have a greater capacity of caring for other people. We just do. And then secondly, we said that when we move from beyond belief, we are active in serving. And then we said that it affects us in that we engage in telling, bearing witness to what God has done in our life. Last Sunday, we, we reminded ourselves that going beyond belief means that we practice the discipline of giving. And I would remind you that last Sunday, we received our giving commitment cards, and we hopefully are even now praying about our response to that. Well, that brings us to the final virtue that defines the life of a person who goes beyond belief. And quite frankly, I think it's one that is missing in large degree today. And that is standing. Standing. You see, Christians are those who not merely have beliefs about Jesus, who have beliefs about God, but who stand on those beliefs and who stand up for the truth and the power of Christ and the gospel. You've probably said to somebody or had it said to you, don't just stand there, do something. My wife usually says that to me on cleaning day at the house. We want to turn that phrase around this morning because when we turn it around, we we get an understanding of what it means to be an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ in the world today. And we put it this way. Don't just do something, stand there. 
stand there. That's what we're to do. To stand on and to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul, when he was writing to the the Christians in Ephesians, and I think, and probably he said this any time he was with a body of believers. He makes a passionate plea that I'm convinced is one of the most important things he ever wrote. And I believe these words here are the different, they define either the effectiveness or the ineptness of every generation of Christians, including our own. Here's what he says. He says, I urge you, there's the passion, I urge you, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. When we allow ourselves to be conformed by the world around us, taking on its standards, its values, we're no longer standing on the Word of God, the truth of Christ. We've settled for something less. And to stand in the context of the Christian faith means to resist conformity and to be transformed, to stand on the power and the truth of Christ. Now, there are a lot of wonderful Christian people, some of them here this morning, who are probably going to disagree with what I'm about to say. And I wish I was wrong. But I'm convinced in my heart that one of the the greatest threats to the witness of the church in America today is our tendency to conform to the world, to the pattern of the world around us, rather than being transformed by the power of God in us. I've been at this ministry now for nearly 40 years, and in every, every decade, but especially the last two, I've seen a steady drifting toward conformity in the Christian church. And sadly, the reality, it seems to me at least, is that more and more we look like, think like, walk like, believe like the culture around us. And we become more interested or committed, it seems, to political correctness than we do biblical correctness. And in our desire to be in the world, which is what we're supposed to be, we at times have become of the world, which is precisely what God's Word warns us against. Somebody put it this way. It's not the ship in the water, but the water in the ship that sinks it. So with the Christian. It's not a Christian in the world, but the world in the Christian that is cause for concern. Listen, conforming is easy. Standing is hard. Conforming requires little of us. Standing requires lots of us. Conformity is the popular thing to do. Standing almost certainly will bring unpopularity 
among you. And even though it's harder, it is still the way that God has planned for us as believers to live. It's still the way that God desires for his church to live and to be. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, makes this statement. He says, go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad, and the road is wide, so many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow, and the road difficult, so few find it. Sadly, a lot of Christians today in some churches, we choose the path of conformity. We choose that wide open gate, that wide road. So we try to merge those two roads together thinking that we can be faithful to Jesus Christ and at the same time take on the ways, the values of the world. That's not standing. And you know what upsets me the most? It's that one of the reasons this has happened in the church is that all too often, pastors have chosen the easy path of conformity over the difficult path of standing. We shy away from opportunities to preach the gospel when it's not popular to do so. We shy away from messages that are going to challenge our people to uphold Christian values in a secular culture. I heard the other day one of our presidential candidates, I'm not going to tell you which one, said this. If the flock stumbles into a ditch, you don't blame the flock, you blame the shepherd. If pastors are afraid to speak out on biblical standards of morality and values, we shouldn't be surprised the state our nation has become. Listen, we can disagree about a lot of things, and we can disagree about this, but here's the truth. We as a nation have never, I believe, been more secular than we are today. We as a church have never been more conforming to culture than we currently are. We as a church, we do a pretty good job of caring and serving. We do an okay job of telling and giving. But when it comes to standing, there's a lot to be desired about our capacity and our willingness to do that. That needs to change. The church in America, we've lost a lot of influence in our culture. If we hope to regain it, if we hope to be an agent of God's truth and power in this culture, we need to reclaim a commitment to stand. I want to lift up two ways that we need to do that this morning. First of all, we need to stand on the Word of God. Now, before I say anything else, let me just be real clear. Above anything or everything else, to stand on the Word of God means to live a life 
of love for God and everybody else. God loves us. God's first requirement is that we love him and then that we love others. And to stand on the word of God above anything else means to love people, all people. But because God loves us and because God wants life to be lived fully and completely, God has given us some moral laws and principles and values that he desires for us. And to stand on the word of God means to stand on those values. Would you agree that this country morally we're in a different place than we were 100, even 50 years ago? We live in a time in which marriage is no longer considered necessary for people who want to live together. We live in a time in which adultery is rampant and commonplace. We live in a time in which marriage itself is being redefined. We live in a time in which babies are born or not born based on personal preference. We live in a time of racial tension and division. We live in a time of sexual, unbridled sexual expression where the only rules are do whatever you want to do. We live in a time in which we probably have more moral choices than ever before. Now, and this is important, the rest of the world can make those moral choices on popular opinion. Rest of the world, they can make their their choices on those matters on on the basis of personal belief. That's fine for them. They are in no way obligated to follow this. But it's not so for us. You see, as Christians, we don't do that. We're, we're to make our moral choices to set our moral compass based on the unchanging will and truth that we find in God's Word. Now, here's just part of what that means. You know, I broached the subject this morning earlier that may have gotten me in trouble, but I, I, here, here's what's the, the irony of the culture in which we live. I find that it is perfectly okay for celebrities and the media and Hollywood to voice their opinions on certain issues, say, gay marriage. But for some reason, the church isn't supposed to say a word and just to keep quiet. Listen, what I'm about to say, I, I, I say in, in love, I, I really, really do. But when it comes to moral choices, for Christians, our understanding of marriage, our understanding of morality is not determined by the Supreme Court. It's not determined by what's being taught on college campuses. It's to be determined by God's Word. And 
if, if it doesn't line up with God's Word, then it's not right for us. Now, the rest of the world can do whatever they want to do, but for us, this is our authoritative tool, okay? Now, for example, assume for just a minute, I might come, on my own, I might come to the conclusion that redefining marriage is perfectly fine. That's not my position. But suppose I came to the position where after, after listening to all the ar- arguments, reading all the articles, I come to the conclusion that there's no problem whatsoever with redefining marriage and embracing gay marriage. Assume for a minute that I come to that opinion. But here's what we need to understand. What I think doesn't matter. You see, those issues are not determined by my opinions or what I think. They're determined by God's Word, whether I agree with it or not. And there's some things that we get to vote on, some things we don't get to vote. There's some things that are true or not true because they're by God's design. Now, we can follow them or not follow them, but they're not for us to determine. We're to stand on God's word, not our word, not our friend's words, not culture's word, but on the authoritative word of God. Now, I understand I understand because I've got a lot of Christian friends and pastors who disagree vehemently with me. I I get that, and I understand that some Christians attempt today to circumvent this reality of standing on God's Word by suggesting that God's Word is not clear, that it's open to all different kinds of interpretation. And that's exactly the debate that's happening in churches today. Christians on both sides are using Scripture to make their point. But folks, that in itself is a dangerous enterprise because it takes the Scriptures and almost runs the risk of treating them with the lack of awe and respect and dignity and authority that that God has given them. And I think instead instead of asking questions in matters like this, what does Scripture, what do we think Scripture says about this? I think the far better question is to ask, what is the testimony of God's Word through the ages about this? For over 2,000 years, Christians have interpreted Scripture to affirm the validity of a man and a woman in marriage. Are we to think, really, that we, in the last ten years, have got it right and everybody else has gotten it wrong? Really? The best way to view Scripture is not to rewrite it, but to embrace it. 
even those parts of it that we don't like. We need to stand on in changing word of God. And then secondly, we need to stand up. We need to stand up and quit being ashamed or embarrassed about who we are and what we believe. It's a sad reality that when this day is up, there are going to be people who are going to tell me that it was inappropriate for me to even approach this subject. Because that's not what preachers do. No. We need to stand up. What we have in America today is a body of Christians who have been conditioned to think that in a world of political correctness, we aren't supposed to speak out if our views differ from what others are saying. We're afraid that if we hold to traditional views of marriage, we're going to be called bigots. If we verbalize our belief that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, we're going to be labeled intolerant. We have become afraid that if we encourage students on a football team to pray after a game, we're going to be sued. So what's happened is we have a whole segment of our population who become afraid to speak out because it's easier to keep quiet. For pastors, it's easier to preach soft, fluffy, feel-good sermons that don't challenge the culture. But listen, I don't read anywhere where Jesus instructs us to crawl into a hole, be quiet, and not speak up. I find just the opposite. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? You have been put in this world not to blend in, but to influence, to flavor, to add life. You are the light of the world. People don't take a, their, a light lamp, a, a light, a light and, and, and put it under a basket. No, they, they put it on the top of the lampstand where it can be seen by everybody in the house. You are the light of the world. And I hear Paul speaking in Ephesians where he says, pick up the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground. So stand with the belt of truth around your waist, justice as a breastplate, put shoes on your feet so you are ready to spread the good news. The Christian faith flourished in the first century. Why? Because people who were convinced of the power and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God stood up and spoke out in the midst of persecution and ridicule unlike we have ever experienced. If the, tr- if the Christian faith is to transform the world today, if we are to reclaim our capacity to be agents of God's truth and power in the world, it will require nothing less from us.
understanding is not easy. It's far more convenient to conform and crawl into our spiritual holes and just let the rest of the world live however it wants to live and our voices are muted. We can't do that. I hope and I pray that every church, every generation of the church, the church has been effective or impotent in impacting its culture. I hope and I pray that we'll seize the opportunity in this world today to stand on the Word of God and to stand up for what we know to be true. That doesn't mean the rest of the world has to live by this code, but it means that we do, and we're to do so in such a way that all the world might want to someday. But we are about the business of bringing about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. God, I want to begin by asking forgiveness if I've said anything this morning that is inappropriate or unkind or not in keeping with your truth. If I have, then convict me and I plead your forgiveness. God, I pray that if what we have spoken this morning is true, that it will be embedded in our hearts and minds so that we cannot ignore it. Oh God, give us as your people. A moment ago, Maria asked us to stand if we were a child of God and every one of us, without a second thought, stood to our feet. Standing physically is one thing. Standing on the word of God is something else. Help us to stand, O oh God. Give us strength when we falter. And in the midst of it all, give us grace to love. Love you, love your people, love your church, love the world. And it's in the name and spirit of Christ that we pray. Amen. This morning, as we conclude our service, if if something prompts you to come to this altar and, and pray and ask God to help you to stand, then I... I give you that invitation. I hope you'll take advantage of that.
let me let me just say this to you. As your pastor, I understand it. It's, uh, there's a safety behind this pulpit that the pastor can say things. But I also want you to know that if uh, I want to be open to be your pastor, not just from behind this pulpit, but sitting with you in the pew or sitting with you in your living room. And so uh, if any of these matters we've talked about uh, cause you to feel a, a desire to talk further, I don't run from that. I embrace that. And I I pray that, I seriously do, pray that you'll give me that opportunity.